0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's word to which we draw our attention today is our gospel reading from Luke chap- I'm sorry, from John chapter two, starting at verse 13. Please rise as we hear the first few verses of that passage. The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle sheep and doves and money changers sitting at tables he made a whip of cords and drove everyone out of the temple courts along with the sheep and oxen he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables to those selling doves he said get these things out of here stop turning my father's house into a place of business thus far the text let us pray Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. When we read a passage like this, there may be many questions that that come to mind. First, why did Jesus get so upset and drive all of these people and these animals out of the temple? And and as I mentioned, this is actually the first time he did this. He's going to do this again on his final trip to Jerusalem. Well, Jesus pretty much answers that question for us when he said, stop turning my father's house into a place of business. Now, maybe you've heard this command used as justification for saying that that in churches, we really shouldn't have any buying and selling going on. And that might be, an application in particular circumstances, but Jesus really didn't have that application in mind when he took action against these men at the temple. He had more important considerations in mind. And the second question that may come to mind, and and answering this question actually gives more answer to that first question. The second question, which is going to be our focus today, is this what's the big deal about the temple if we can begin to ha- get a handle on what the temple was for god's people of that time then we start to understand why jesus said and and did what he what he did one of the challenges for us today in trying to figure out why the temple was such a big deal is that we really don't have anything analogous to it today sure we have our our church buildings we have the the uh, church body headquarters up in Mankato, and while these are important some would even say they're necessary they're not the same thing to us as the temple was for god's people of jesus day take note what jesus calls the temple he says it's my father's house Obviously, he didn't say that as if God actually lived there like we live in houses. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, makes that clear when he says, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. And yes, King Solomon was the first one to construct a temple for God. A very grand one at that. But it's not that that God lived there in the sense that his presence was there and only there, nowhere else. The temple actually had its roots in the tabernacle, which is a structure that the people hauled around with them while they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In Exodus 25, God began laying out the instructions. He told Moses to tell the people that they were to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. Note well those words, that I may dwell among them. The tabernacle for which God ends up giving very specific instructions about how it was to be constructed was the place of God's presence among his people. And again, yes, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But the tabernacle was to be the place where he was specially and, and specifically with his people. So, once God's people entered the promised land for about another 450 years, they had the tabernacle. King David decided finally it was time that they really needed to build a temple. He didn't actually do it. It fell to his son, King Solomon. And he built this magnificent temple that would stand for 370 years. And the design of the temple, if you look at how the temple is laid out, it really just mirrored the tabernacle. It was much bigger, much fancier, and it was permanent, but it was the significance of it was the same as the tabernacle. It was the place of God's presence with his people. Now, I'm not trying to bore you with too much history, so let's jump forward to Jesus' day. One more historical note. Construction on the temple in Jesus day had actually been going on for about 46 years, and actually that was a reconstruction, a renovation of the temple that had been reconstructed centuries earlier. Bottom line, the temple, the temple was still in Jerusalem. The temple was still the center of worship for God's people. The temple was still the place of God's presence with his people. You could say that the temple really was the heart of the Jewish people. So, keeping that in mind, how vital the temple was to God's people, how it was was revered, how it was considered to be holy ground, well, you can understand why Jesus gets so upset when he comes and he sees animals being sold and, and money changers at work in the temple courts. It was sort of necessary to have animals there for sacrifices. I mean, there were people coming from all parts of the world for the Passover. They couldn't all bring sacrifices with them, and, and so there were animals that were necessary for those sacrifices. And it probably would have been one thing to, to have these animals set up somewhere close to the temple, But to have the temple turned into some sort of a a stockyard, that was simply dishonoring God. It was not showing reverence for God. And what about the money changers? Well, again, you've got people coming from all over the world to the Passover, and every male who was age 20 and above had to pay a tax, an annual tax for the temple, and it was a half shekel and it had to be paid in a Jewish coin. And so you've got people coming from all over, and so it would make sense to have money changers somewhere close to the temple to be able to exchange the money so they had the right coins. But to do that, again, in the temple courts, to be set up right there in the temple courts, not showing reverence to God. And thus, the reason for Jesus righteous anger it is kind of interesting that when jesus started driving out all of the people and the animals and and flipping over the tables of the money changers no one tried to stop him and and you have to remember that there are temple police on duty but jesus was acting with divine authority he could not be stopped Now I mentioned before that sometimes this passage is used to to say that we shouldn't have buying and selling going on within church buildings. And again, depending on the situation you you might make that point. But the point that Jesus was really making had to do with dishonoring God. Now granted, any sin that we commit does that. Any sin really is a, a slap in the face of God. But How do we dishonor God? How do we, especially, how do we dishonor his presence among us? Well, one way we might do that is by not coming to worship. Because we know that God is here. He is here in his word and in his sacraments. But I'm not going to accuse you of doing that because, well, you're here. But are you really here? Yes, you're here physically, obviously, but, but what is on your mind right now? Do you find yourself sort of just kind of enduring the service, waiting for it to get done so that, well, you can do other things? Maybe you get distracted because your phone keeps buzzing at you and you're wondering what messages you're missing out on. Or maybe you're just trying to make it to the end of the service and get done so you can get home and and have dinner or get to the game or whatever else you have planned for the day. Now, I can't give you masterful tips on, on how to focus during the service. But I can tell you that your God, the one in whose presence you're seated right now, says through me, because of the work of Jesus, because of his life, and death, and resurrection. Your sin of dishonoring God is forgiven. Now, I said that already, not specifically that sin, but in the absolution, you already heard from me that was coming from God, the forgiveness of your sins. And later in the service, I'm going to be distributing to you specifically the forgiveness of your sins. And it's this forgiveness that makes us want to be In the Lord's presence in the first place because when we are in the Lord's presence we are certainly blessed so yes the people of Jesus day thought about the temple as holy ground a big deal if ever there were one it was not a place to be defiled with the atmosphere of a marketplace complete with noisy and smelly animals and men loudly vying for your attention So let's shift forward in the narrative to the reaction of the the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, and how they reacted to Jesus' chosen method of cleansing the temple. And that interaction makes it clear that depending on how you define it, the temple is still a big deal today. Now the leaders were none too pleased with what Jesus did, and so they wanted to see His credentials. They wanted to see proof that he was doing something that he was allowed to do, and so they asked for some sort of a sign. You have to remember that, that the Jewish religious leaders, they actually were looking forward to the coming of a reliable prophet, many times they referred to him as Elijah, who would come and either confirm or deny their worship practices. And so when Jesus comes, and obviously he has a problem with certain things that they're doing regarding their worship practices, well, they want to know, is he legit? Is this person someone that, that we have to pay attention to? And Jesus' response to them, it was a bit enigmatic. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. Now, we know what Jesus was talking about because we know the rest of the story. And even if we didn't, John explains it he says Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. So to us, Jesus' words are clear because we know full well that he did rise on the third day. But to the religious leaders, it wasn't clear. They thought, he was talking about their, their temple that had been under construction for the last 46 years. Here the great had Had actually started this renovation of the temple and an expansion of the temple. And it actually continued even past the time of of Jesus' death. And remember, again, what the temple was for God's people. It was the place of His presence. The place of God's presence among them. And so for Jesus to talk about the temple being destroyed, well, that that was disturbing, to say the least. The place of God's presence among his people. Is that limited to the temple? Well, consider what the Apostle John wrote at the beginning of his gospel. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Consider what the prophet Isaiah wrote centuries uh, prior. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel. Consider what Matthew records in his gospel about the interaction between the angels speaking to Joseph about how his wife Mary is going to be this virgin who's going to give birth to the son and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. What was the temple? God with us. Who is Jesus? God with us. And so when Jesus told the religious leaders destroy this temple, he wasn't talking about the the building. When he said, in three days, I will raise it up again, he wasn't referring to the building. His message was enigmatic, but it was actually clear. He was promising them that he was going to rise from the dead after they destroyed him, after they put him to death. And you see how vital Jesus' resurrection from the dead is. Not only did Jesus go to the cross to take away the penalty for all of our sins, the sins of the entire world, he also rose from the dead. He is God with us. If he had stayed in the grave, he couldn't really be God with us, maybe in spirit in some way, but not with us. But because Jesus rose from the dead, He is with us. He is everything that the temple represented and more. And He continues to fulfill that promise to be with us when He tells His followers, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, if the Jewish religious leaders had understood what Jesus was telling them, maybe they wouldn't have been so upset And we do have to cut them a little bit of slack, of course, because John says even the disciples didn't understand what Jesus said until after he had risen from the dead. Again, Jesus was actually giving them a promise. The temple was God's presence among his people, but it was not going to last. About 37 years later, that temple would actually be destroyed by the Romans. But there was no destroying God's real presence with his people because Jesus was not going down for the count. Yes, he was going to die, but he was going to rise from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he is with us now. In his word and in his sacraments, he continues to be with us in this life. And someday we get to be with him in His presence in heaven. And that definitely is a big deal. Amen.